Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started sharath is the co-founder and ceo at beacon stack in the interview sharath emphasizes the importance of connecting the physical and digital worlds especially through mobile devices his approach involves short term thinking and strategic growth steps underlining the significance of prioritizing in man- managing a growing organization he also values radical candor and over communication to maintain a transparent and cohesive company culture and making sure everyone is aligned with the company's vision and values even as they scale rapidly hi sharat welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumit thanks for having me excited to be here it's a pleasure to have you here Why don't you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what keeps you occupied these days? So I'm Sharath Potharaju. I'm co-founder and CEO of Beacon Stack. Beacon Stack is a SaaS company. We basically are in the business of building a customer engagement across the physical and digital realms. And the way we do that is using technologies like QR mm. codes. And yeah, we're a classic SaaS company, software as a service company. We have an office in New York and we have an office in Bangalore in India. And yeah, it's been an exciting growth phase for us. And that's honestly really keeping me busy. Yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And before we come to Beacon Stack, I want to understand what's your backstory? What led you to where you are today? Backstory is pretty straightforward, I would say, in many ways. I'm from South India, grew up here, born in a city called Hyderabad. Went to IIT Madras, was then in the U.S. to do my master's. Was an investment banker for a couple of years in New York. Always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I have been passionate about building businesses far before I knew what it takes to become a, become an entrepreneur or build a business. Mm-hmm. Or, the, or I would argue the hardship of actually <laughs> making one. I was fortunate enough to meet my co-founder Ravi uh, very early in life. Uh, we've been actually classmates from fifth grade, middle school, high school, college. 
engineering, uh, but also roommates in New York for a bit. So we've always been dreaming of building companies, building products, um, always a dream of building a global software product company uh, across, uh, uh, starting from India across for the world. And that's really the journey we are on right now. So quite, uh, quite from an early age, you wanted to start something or do a business. Can you share a bit like more on like where that passion was coming from? It's, I think it's difficult to say that I wanted to build business, but I think to or do business, I think more, it was mm-hmm. more in terms of trying to, trying to create a vehicle for creating a, a sizable impact. I think by, from very early on, I realized that there is maybe partly because of the way my parents raised me, my father, my grandfather, I always believed in trying to think about things that grow beyond the scope of just me and just my family, et cetera. And the idea of how do you create impact is something that, that was quite deep rooted for me. I think entrepreneurship and technology came quite naturally, or I would say technology at least came very naturally. I was very excited about it, science and technology. And when I discovered, I don't know, in, in my early days on that entrepreneurship really could be that potential vehicle to create impact, it, it, I realized that maybe that's, that's my calling and that's really how I can mm. you know, do something, create something from, from scratch. And that's really what drew me to entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. So I, I already Madras, then investment banking, then entrepreneurship. Those look like very different fields. So what did you have to learn or unlearn as you became an entrepreneur? I think in many ways, it's, I think any hard or any summit that you need to scale, it usually comes down to the, to, to pretty similar stuff. I keep talking about the fact that if you, if you're to get into IIT, for example, which in India, which is a very competitive exam, there is a lot of years of labor that you have to put into, to actually clear that exam. I think investment banking is pretty long hours. Entrepreneurship is many long years before you actually see the light at the, like the light at the end of the tunnel. So I, in, in many ways, I've, I've always uh, believed that my preparation priority set the ground for me on the purpose and the value of delayed gratification. I understood very early on in life that delayed gratification takes you a very long way. And I think th- those are the interconnected threads that really helped me beyond this journey, despite mm. having really low lows where you think, what the hell, how will I ever recover from this? And you realize and you convince yourself that tomorrow is going to be a better day. And I think that's the reality with every summit. I think, as they say, it's the, it's darkest just before dawn. So I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. And I think any summit that I have cleared is basically because I keep reminding myself that. Mm, yeah. So coming back to now, can you share a bit more of like, how did you come up with BeaconStack, the idea behind it? And what is the summit here? What is the summit that you're trying to scale? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think Ravi and I have, again, been on the entrepreneurial journey for 10 years or longer. We've had some spectacular failures, uh, learned a lot of, uh, along the way. But I think uh, we've been building BeaconStack for the last four years. We've been very passionate about uh trying to solve a large problem and the way we have defined the problem that we wanted to solve for Beacon Stack was there is an easier way to be able to connect the physical world and the digital world. 
how do you basically, because if you look at the evolution of mobile internet, you realize that people got comfortable using internet, mobile internet to consume content and commerce. And the third phase, I think we believe will be the phase of where people will use the mobile device in a more seamless manner in the physical world, or how does the mobile device become the center of your physical world? Hmm. And that's really how we decided we should solve for that problem. And we iterated on what technology that will help you do that and build a robust platform that enable you to take technologies like QR codes, NFC, Bluetooth, geofencing, Wi-Fi, essentially all the technologies that your mobile device can really sense and adapt and took these technologies and converted them into channels of engagement. And among this, I think the QR code as a technology really took off for several reasons. And that's the journey we are on right now. I think to your second part, I think in terms of what is the summit that we are on, right? Or we're aiming for, I think I like to think in installments. I think I like to think in step functions. I, I very, I'm very focused on what the next step should be in terms of growth. I think one of the, and so it's very, I think there is a pretty large market out there that we're trying to solve for. We're also in a, we're in a very exciting space where we are actually a category creator. So it's not like we are actually going, we are working in an established category. We are actually going and creating a new category and that's very exciting. So there is a pretty large summit to climb, but one of the learnings I've had over the years of being an entrepreneur is that I want to think short term rather than mm. long term. I know uh, in many ways, I think uh, there are some merits for thinking long term, but I think uh, as they say, the human mind tends to overestimate what can be done in the long term, but underestimates what can be done in the short term. You think in five years, I will scale Mount Everest, but in 30 mm -hmm. days, can you run a hundred meters? That's really the way you think about it. So I'm very short term focused from a standpoint of executing and setting goals. I do have a romantic vision about where I want to be, which I usually keep to myself. Mm. Yeah. And how do you define uh, short term? Is it a few months or a few years? It's both actually. I, I think from a company standpoint, we have annual goals. I set annual goals for myself too, but we have the annual goals are broken down into quarterly, obviously quarterly plans and quarterly goals. So we have quarterly goals. We have, then we, those quarterly goals are then eventually broken down into monthly timelines on what needs to essentially be done. And mm. I have a weekly cadence on how I keep on top of things. Yeah. That's very well structured for, for a hundred people in a company. Also, is it only for you? Does it also tinkle around to all the different teams and every, every individual? Okay. Everybody. I think both me and my co-founder Ravi are again, very process oriented human beings. Mm -hmm. We, we've always, we build, built like that. Um, mm -hmm. and I also have this mantra, which I like to keep telling everyone, which is basically you micromanage the process, not the person, right? I don't believe in if Sumit was working in Beacon Stack, I would not specifically tell you this is what you should do and micromanage you. But mm -hmm. I will tell you, this is the broad constructs of how our process really works. And then in the scope of that process, you should figure out your uh, achievable de de deliverables and what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So we are very process oriented. And that's the reason why we are extremely structured, even when it was just me and Ravi sitting in a room trying to figure mm -hmm. out what to do. 
Yeah. And can you share an example of that? Like a function or something which you have processized very well, which maybe many other companies or founders struggle with? Sure. I think, I think one of the examples that I have is that I think we are very articulate about how we may, how we hire. Hmm. So for example, we have a very, a very structured way of writing a job description. We have a very specific template on this is what we want in this individual and we define it there because I've seen that despite having a structure, one of some of the biggest hiring mistakes I've seen others make and including myself is when you're not really sure about what you want in this role and you hire an extremely competent individual, but he or she is not really checking up every checkbox that you essentially want. So you need to give it mm. specific. So I think we have a very strong hiring process going back to starting with the job description, like I mentioned, and then we have a very structured interview process. We have four people who interview and the person who is managing that interview essentially, or sorry, the hiring manager will essentially assign each person what they are essentially going to focus on in the interview. And then followed by that, we have this, a debrief session where all the mm. four people essentially get together and have a conversation around whether this person will fit or not. And the interesting thing about the way we have structured this right now is we need a unanimous yes to hire any this person. There are many times I've been in, in these debrief sessions where I've liked the person, but someone else has not. So just because I'm the CEO, I can't override that. Mm. And there is, everybody has equal amount of participation, equal amount of interest and buy-in that they have to essentially get. And, and I think that has made not only the process very clear, but it also gives us tremendous sense of ownership and to everyone else on the team that the next person who's coming in is because mm. I fundamentally believe this, this person is really good. Yeah, I love the detail in what you described, right? Starting from uh, the job description to how the actual yes or no is being communicated or said. And I see a lot of companies struggle with this because it's like anything goes culture or like the leader overrides a lot of these decisions. So having said that, so in the short term, given this strength, I would call it a big strength of how you see and maybe break down complex problems or processes into defined processes. What are the biggest pain points or challenges that, that you face in the short term? What challenges I face in general or, or what challenges? So when you see that this is where we want to be as a company, let's say in, the, in one year, two years, what do you think could be the biggest hurdles that are on the way? And, and that could be external as well as internal, right? For your own leadership, what could be a challenge? Broadly speaking, I think the balance between long-term and short-term is very hard to, uh. is a balance, is a very big balancing. Uh, I think as much as I like to believe that I want to be, you want to be able to think long-term, but at short-term, it's nice to be able to say that on a podcast, but I think it's a lot more harder to be able to implement that thinking. So that the switch between strategic thinking and tactical thinking is not really straightforward. And I think many times either I'm a little too lost in the weeds or maybe I, or sometimes you tend to get so lost in this might what ha might happen 12 to 18 months down the line that you lose track of what's happening in the short term. I think that is really the, the biggest challenge mm. that I would say. That's one. Two, I think in a growth stage company, there are, and I, I would argue any, even if it's even a well-established company, 
the biggest challenge that you have is that when you walk into your office every day, there are hundred fires to be fought mm. and to be able to prioritize is a superpower, mm. right? To be able to ask yourself, what are the first most important three things that you're going to take and tackle? Because you will honestly not be able to get through the list beyond those first three. How do you decide that? Are you based, based on, are you doing the easiest ones? First, are you doing the most impactful ones or are you doing the ones which scare you the least or the most uh, mm. first? That decides in many ways the trajectory of the company and also decides the kind of leader you are and that kind of frames in many ways the culture that you're building, right? Uh, Hank Paulson, uh, the former CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs and the Treasury Secretary, he had this quote, which I think is it's his quote, but it says, eat the frog first, right? Which is, mm. you wake up in the morning, go into the office. What is the most difficult, most painful job you're here to do? First, yeah. get that out of the way. Assuming the most painful job is also the most impactful. Oh, usually it is, right? If it's the most painful, but the least impactful, then you have all the reason to throw it out of the window. But I think, yeah, a combination of prioritization and, and balancing that tactical versus strategic those are two things to really keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, do you tend to tilt a bit more towards the practical, like the short term? And does do you think that something gets missed out in the long term because of that? And it's, it's very interesting that you asked that because I think as I was growing up as a child, the thing that I prided myself most about is the fact that I was a long-term thinker. As they say, in, in India, there's this thing called the Panchvarshi Pranandika, which means five-year plans. Right, the India have followed the USSR's model of five-year planning commission, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, five-year thinking. I always prided myself that I had a, this complete five-year horizon thinking, which is mm. anytime you woke me up at 12, 15, 20, 22, what are you planning to do in the next five years? And I would just rattle out what I had in mind. Uh, but as you grow uh, older, or I would say wiser or more mature. Coupled with being an entrepreneur, you tend to realize that the kind of moving variables is so high that thinking that long-term necessarily doesn't make sense. Hmm. And you, tend, you start to realize that it's important for you to dream in details, but it's really important for you to start acting in, in very short-term basis. And it has taken me some time to move away from that long-term thinking and think about two quarters, four quarters, eight quarters. And start thinking. And that's and, and when you're a startup, when you're like all hands on deck and you're the ones in the weeds, it is really important to be tactical. Now I have senior leaders, each leader focusing on their respect, respective thing. They are tactically executing. Now I'm in a stage where I spend a lot of time thinking. Mm. Right? Uh, for example, typically I take one day a week. Usually it's Wednesday. But I don't have any meetings. I block my entire day. And I only spend my time thinking about things, right? Mm. Uh, and it really opens up my mind to possibilities that I, d I can't think about when my Slack is buzzing and my email is buzzing and I have calls going through and through. And that's one way I'm essentially trying to balance this whole tactical strategic stuff mm. just by siloing myself in specific times. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, I would like to commend you for doing that. One day itself is a huge, many times I often ask people to dedicate two days for thinking about the future and totally distraction-free, thinking about what could be some of those big leaps that you can make, right? Because 
Otherwise, most of your day is incremental progress, one step after the another, making sure, as you said, the processes are set on, you're taking care of little details, optimizing. But if you, if as a leader, you're not thinking about those big, bold steps or something new, something innovative, then a lot gets uh, lost in the way. And a lot of people struggle with just half a day or, or a day. So that's wonderful. That's uh, really commendable. You also Thank spoke you. about having more leaders allows you to do that. So can you also share how have you changed as a leadership team, especially as now you are like 100 people, maybe in a few years, you will be a few hundred people. So what kind of leaders and what kind of culture do you need as you are growing? And how does that need to change? I don't think the culture should change. I think uh, I would like to believe the culture should be the same, whatever the fundamental ethos is. Mm-hmm. I think the way you implement that, that culture is different, right? And I think in some ways, culture is like an organism. It has to grow organically, right? Uh, so it takes the life form of everything that it comes in contact with. So the way I think about it is that both me and my co-founder started with a certain value system and we are percolating that value system down. In the early mm-hmm. days, till we had leaders, it was specific guardrails. It was pushing pushing it down in a very significant manner. I think once, now that we have guardrails, now that we actually have senior leaders, which we have spent a lot of time, blood, threatened tears to hire the right kind of people, hopefully. We essentially want this culture to be able to expand based on their experiences, their cultural learnings, etc. So I think in many ways, the core I like to believe is the same, except that the way it's essentially being implemented in the past was just me pushing, me and my co-founder pushing it downwards to now each leader taking it, taking their own flavor to it, adding their own their personality and character to it and percolating it. So the way I think about this is that as the organization grows, the core culture, the core philosophy, the core value system is the same, except that each leader will have their own microculture and they will essentially espouse what we fundamentally believe in, but they will do it within their own bubble, in their own personality. Yeah. And I think that's really important also, right? How a finance org runs is quite different from the way our sales outruns mm. and the sales leaders typically personality is going to be different from finance org. So you cannot have the exact same thing, but at the same time, if you're, you made the right decisions and got the right sales leader, the right finance leaders, you will be able to take them along at the same time, yep. balance out what you believe in mm. versus what they bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. So these changes in behavior, right? So pushing versus allowing people and also what you mentioned earlier about when you were a, a child uh, in your childhood, the tendency to long term, not to short term. How are you? How are you learning and adapting, right? What and how are you supporting your leaders? Because many of those leaders might also need to adapt now when they are stepping into maybe a small org, leading a small org. But as their uh, org expands, how are you first of all investing in yourself, you and your co-founder, and then how are you supporting your leaders to shift many of these patterns which are very personal, which are very ingrained, and which can also be sometimes difficult to change or adapt on the way. That was a good question. I, I I think that's twofold the way I think about it. One is, I would say more than me supporting the leader, I think the leader is supporting me. The way I think about that is that I want to be able to get people who are insanely good and definitely three to five times better than me in that specific role that I'm bringing them in. I was perfectly mm-hmm. defeated. So if I'm bringing in a sales leader or if I'm bringing in my finance leader as 
my earlier example, they should be three times, five times, even 10 times better than me in that specific role. So the question is not about how am I supporting versus how are they supporting their mix of I'm strategically setting the vision and they're more tactical in the way they're executing the vision that I'm essentially setting, setting for the company and setting for them. As you continue to grow, obviously, and as the maturity of your leaders that you hire also continues to grow, then you will start roping them also into those strategic things. Still, then they are more tactical than mm. anything else. That's one. The second thing I think is, uh, how do you take help? I think as a first time, the leader was managing, um, you know, vice presidents and managing senior leaders themselves. You have to take your own help. You have to talk to coaches. You have to get advisors. I have advisors who, who run publicly listed companies who, who, are, who have been CXOs at large organizations who are pre-IQ companies. Hmm. And they have worked in large organizations. They understand the friction that comes with managing fragile egos. How do you motivate hmm. some of these large senior leaders to work cohesively to achieve the goal that you essentially want? So I think all that will essentially come. So in one hand, you get advisors. and the other hand, you let go uh, to your leaders. So that's the kind of the balancing act. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that like important role of uh, somebody else or a group of people who are supporting you in that uh, journey of learning as well. From a culture point of view, especially when you grow beyond, let's say, 100 people or even a bit before that, things start to get complex or complicated. And it's easy, as you mentioned, when you walk in, it's easy to see the 10 things or 100 things which are wrong. So what are some right. of those challenges from a culture point of view that you see that keep popping up, that even if you put them down, they keep popping up again and again? I think more than popping up over and over, I think what really happens is when you're in a growth phase, the rate at which people start hiring the, the rate at which people start getting added to your or keep increasing. Hmm. So what really happens is to start with, you have 10 people in a company and you are adding one person, one person. So 10 people influence one person. Then 15 people influence five people. Then 20 influence or four people. And it keeps growing, but eventually it gets to a stage where the number of people who have joined the org in the last six months is a lot, lot higher than the number of the mm -hmm. original people where you've had spent a lot of, again, blood, sweat and tears in inculcating the philosophy and the way you function. So I think that is very hard because what's happened now is suddenly you have, you don't, it's not even a one is to one for every one employee who has been with you for more than a year or to 18 months, which is the amount of time I think it takes for you to actually understand how it's, how an organization functions. You have people who have, your two or three employees have joined in the last 12 months or and that is very tricky. So you have to keep over-communicating. I think as a leader, my philosophy has always been to massively over-communicate. At the sound of being repetitive and pedantic, I love to keep on saying the same thing over and over. It's mm. like sometimes it's like a television commercial, right? If you're watching any sports, you'll see the same ad over and over. Why is there so much, why is there so much uh, exposure to you? Because eventually they want to drill it into your head. I think it's really imperative that as a leader, you have to be able to do that. So I, I, I think as you're growing, you will experience that. Right? And like you said, it keeps bobbing up, popping up over mm. and over. You will start seeing that, oh, I thought I'd already explained that this is how things are done here. How come this not did not get translated? And then you realize 
you've said it only three times, maybe you need to say it five more times. And that's really what I do in our all hands mm. meetings, senior staff meetings, et cetera, et cetera. I keep saying it over and over and that's really how you beat it. Just keep over communicating. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have touched on something which a lot of people face because I do see a lot of leaders or I speak with a few leaders who, if they look at their workforce, like it's like in the last 12 months, 50% of people have joined. And at one end, you get to lose that sense of uh, who is this person. And earlier, I used to know everybody. And now it's like getting a bit disconnected. But many times people also get disconnected from the vision or from why are we here? And I don't know if you are remote or how are you managing that? But can you share what, apart from communicating or over communicating, what other deliberate activities are you doing, especially as you grow, so that people stay together, connected by a vision, connected by why are we here? And also supporting each other, right? Not just like working in silos. But actually coming in, can I help you? Can I be of help? Something like that. Yeah, that's a good question, man. I, I, I think it's hard. I think I'm still in a in journey of discovery. I, I don't know if I have very specific. Uh, I think I don't know if I have very specific tactical insights on what will drive it. I think one fundamental philosophy that I follow is radical candor in the sense that I'm very transparent and open about everything. I encourage people to ask questions and I encourage people to ask me any company, any question about anything about the company and I'll be happy to tell you what's our revenue, what's our numbers, what is this, what is that, uh, where are we sucking, where are we doing well, so on and so mm. forth. The way that helps in binding people together is basically it encourages a sense of transparency around all communication. Marketing is not closed off. Marketing and sales is not closed off. Each person is ready to open up. And I have seen that culture trickles downwards and that openness tends to create a certain binding factor which didn't really exist before if everybody was working in on their own silos. So that has helped, has helped and is helping quite a lot in the way we essentially build this cross-border team, right? We have people in India, we have people in the US, we have people in Philippines, we have and I'm sure we'll have people in other parts of the world too. And to be able to get all of them together under one roof virtually essentially means you use information and communication to make that happen. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing about candor and also saying that I don't know maybe about this. This is still something that we are we are discovering and a lot of people find it difficult to say so. So thank you for for doing that. Yes. Yeah, but but in the in on the same lines, right? Can you share something about you which most people are not aware of? If you are being candid, let's yeah. Um, I think I think one of the things that I talk about a lot is that I'm a very I'm a very consult style of leadership in the sense, and that comes again down from my father and grandfather, who have a tendency to ask questions about everything before making a decision. And I think that's something that I do quite a lot of. Mm. And there is sometimes that is mistaken for that I don't know the answers. In fact, it's the other way around, which is I'm very sure about many answers. and But I like to take a balanced view because it helps mm. me balance my biases. So I tend to ask that question over and over. If there's one thing that on top of mind, if, uh, I think that would be it. Mm. Yeah, so you take a curious approach, right? Even if you are certain about it, you still are open to learning because it's so yes. easy to close a question by saying, I know, uh, yeah. and then you miss everything else. But if you open yeah. up 
then some sometimes others or the situation can throw up something yeah can uh, interpret some patterns or something like that absolutely absolutely i also think it's really help, helpful for your leaders also to ask take a pause and ask because i think i think in this world of brash confidence there's a tendency mm-hmm. to forget about curiosity like you said and i think it's like they say you can never learn something you already think and if you don't know it <laughs> then only god save you that's that's wonderful right because we talk about startups in the same in the same sentences as uh, confidence or uh, even hustling i think there are a lot of tendencies that we use which creates pressure which creates stress and makes the journey more difficult than it should be and i think i see you as uh, more grounded now, but can you share what is it that you do to create that space for yourself right to create that space for thinking or to slowing things down and not just get trapped in that like cycle of running and running i think that's pretty straightforward in my head at least i fundamentally think that working really hard and being curious are all necessary but not sufficient conditions to be very successful in life mm. to be very successful in life there's a tremendous amount of timing right it's what they keep i keep saying it's not about just product market fit it's about founder timing fit you have to be at the right place at the right time and to be at the right place at the right time you have to be at it repetitively it's like being on the beach trying to catch a wave if you're surfing mm. and i think most people who sometimes who have a tendency to get carried away think it's all them don't realize or timed it really well because they got in the first minute and caught the right wave and did it will have a tendency to think it's because of only them i've been through enough to know that's not the case and so i think it's important to have confidence and have strong amount of belief in yourself have strong sense of optimism that tomorrow is going to be a better day only but don't let that dictate you because that's a very slippery slope downwards hmm. yeah so what i'm saying is there is a distance that you have created between what i am doing and who i am and so if okay. something is not working that doesn't mean that i am a failure or i am doing something wrong but there are other factors like timing and you said it's a slippery slippery slope uh, so how yeah. on a day to day on a week to week is there something that you do to like deliberately keep that distance or to keep reminding you of that distance good point not really i i also think that even though i'm saying it it is very hard to follow it mm-hmm. if you are in the trenches you're struggling i'm sure there's an entrepreneur struggling and not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel me coming and saying <laughs> just keep at it don't worry it will yeah. eventually succeed is very hard mm. uh, but for someone who's take, taken 10 years to as they say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success or whatever perception of success you are each of you or each of us are really pursuing it's really important to keep in mind that all this is basically only in hindsight and and in most cases the outcome is discuss, the outcome basically dictates the narrative Mm. right there are enough number of people right now in caves trying to do some big stuff which might not be seen for 5 to 7 years yeah. and that individual might might not give up is there something i'm doing right now nothing i think that's one of the reasons why you need to be very dreamy about the problem you're solving that's one do mm. cannot insist more about having the right co-founder it's like having the right spouse for me it's a sure joy coming to work every day sitting next to my for friend who have known for 30 years so mm. when you are going through absolute shit it just 
the thrill of actually coming and trying to solve a problem made it worthwhile. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh, like the icing on the cake. Even if the journey is not going smooth or not going well, you can always take that meaning or joy at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I also think it's important for you to surround yourself with people who mm-hmm. are in the on, on the kind of journey that you are in. Yeah. For me, in my case, I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I think we share similar battle worlds. And that yeah. keeps us going in many ways. Yes, yes. And I think you said something wonderful that it's so easy to look at uh, the past and come up with a lesson or something in hindsight. But it's very difficult to then even apply the same lesson and then promise or guarantee a result in the future, right? Because a key thing with leadership or entrepreneurship is that no matter how many times you have faced a challenge, the same challenge, you might need a different strategy, right? There is no cookie cutter approach that you can just copy and paste. Yeah. There's nothing. Actually, in fact, one of the most interesting data I think my friend was sharing with me is how the success rate of second-time entrepreneurs is abysmally low Mm. in the sense that you tend to think that People who have already been, who have been very successful in the first time, you would expect them to be even more successful the second time. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case. Hmm. Unfortunately, our, our narratives are again driven by what in the news and you think uh, there's an Elon Musk or mm-hmm. Steve Jobs or someone else. But yes. That's not yeah. necessarily the reality of it. That's not what most, that's not hmm. the median. That's an extreme four standard deviations away and that's not who we should try to emulate. Absolutely. Perfect. So thank you, Sharath, for everything that you share. I think uh, we can continue talking uh, forever on these topics. Uh, but before we end, for anybody who might be listening and who get who gets curious and wants to learn more about leadership from you or from what you're doing as a company, as a product, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? I'm very active on LinkedIn. So look me up on LinkedIn. That's the best way. And the fastest way to reach out to me. Here again, Beacon Stack without the K at the end. It's B-A. UNSDSE.com. Please look us up. I'm sure you'll find something interesting. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing so openly and authentically about uh, your journey. Thank you. Awesome. So much. Lovely talking to you. Thank you for having me. Same here. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show And it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. 
always remember that you are enough you are loved and you matter this is sumit until next time keep choosing leadership